It's good to be back. I was on vacation with Juby. <laughs> and we're jet lagged the opposite way because it's like 6 p.m. where we were. And so at 6 p.m., that's when we'll be jet lagged. Oh. <laughs> Church is over, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks so much uh, for being here. I'm glad to be back. I've been off for four weeks, so it feels great to be back up here again. And I want to start talking uh, by uh, I want to start by talking about uh, two theological terms. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. That uh, sounds exciting. It is. Uh, the first theological term I want to talk about is orthodoxy. How many people have heard of the word orthodoxy before? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of us. Good, good. So orthodoxy, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Uh, so please, if you want to explore these uh, ideas a little bit more, feel free to talk to me about it. We can do that. But orthodoxy is a general, uh, a general idea or a general um, uh, a group consensus, so to speak, of what is true or what is right. Okay, that's what an orthodoxy is. So for a certain time, at a certain place, with a certain group of people, you decide that what uh, you're doing is the right thing to do. This is your orthodoxy. Uh, now, orthodoxy, when it comes to Christianity, uh, always happens through, does anybody want to guess where we get our orthodoxy from? It's a Sunday school answer. The Bible. Nice. We get it from the Bible. Yeah. So our orthodoxy comes from the way we read Scripture. Now, we love Scripture. We believe it's God-inspired. It's interpreted. But here's the thing. Scripture has never, ever, not once in its entire existence, ever been objective. It's always subjective. It's always interpreted by people. And these people decide what is right and what is wrong about it. And that's how we get our orthodoxy. And so I would say, as a church here in America in the year 2018, there's a certain orthodoxy that we have, too. A bunch of uh, Americans have decided over the past hundred years or so that a certain way of thinking about Scripture, uh, of thinking about God, of thinking about Jesus should look like this. And we've created a set of right beliefs around it. Now, the easiest way, the easiest example to use in this situation is the example of God, right? We believe in God. We believe that God comes as Jesus. God sends God's son. And God's son as Jesus uh, lives on this earth. He dies. He's resurrected. He's resurrected so that we uh, know that we are connected and have never been separate from God. And then we also believe in the mystery of the Spirit. So we believe that, that God, Jesus, this mystery of the Holy Spirit, this Trinity is still happening. And that would be a general orthodoxy, what we believe. We good? We got it? Good. All right. Now let's talk about another word. I want to talk about the word heresy or heretic. How many people know that word? Good, good. All right. Heresy or being a heretic is when you go against the orthodoxy. It's when you see what everybody says and what everybody believes and what everybody thinks is right. And you say, no, that sort of doesn't work for me. I don't think this is actually what I believe or what I, what I want. And when the general group, when the whole group actually believes it, um, and you don't, they say, well, you're a heretic then. You are outside of the orthodoxy, what everybody generally believes. So that started in around the second, uh, the, about, about 100 years after Jesus or so. Um, there's a group of people called Gnostics, and they were the first to be considered uh, heretics. But along the line, we've had a lot of heretics throughout our journey. It's been nice, right? Uh, an example of being <laughs> a, a heretic <laughs> is, uh, how many people have heard of Rob Bell? Rob Bell. Uh, Rob Bell is a, a pastor, a writer, a speaker, and he wrote a book called Love Wins. And in his book, he says, I think God is so loving that I don't believe anybody will really go to hell. I think God's love is going to save a lot of people. And another pastor tweeted, so long, Rob Bell, as if to say, you believe this thing that is not part of the orthodoxy. 
And so you are now a heretic. You're now outside of the orthodoxy, right? This is something that is easy to talk about it. Uh, and so we have orthodoxy, this group that holds a set of right beliefs, and we have heretics, people that go against this set of right beliefs. They go against the orthodoxy. Now, a lot of you here tonight, or today, or this morning, might be, <laughs> might be happy to know that our church has been called heretical. It's exciting. Um, why have we been called heretical? I mean, there's been a couple of occasions. I think LGBTQIA inclusion is the biggest one. We're called heretical because the majority of people still are not at a place where they want to include all LGBTQIA people. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, that's one reason. And then for some reason, people call us heretical around the idea of anti-racism, about our work trying to be anti-racist, which I, I don't know. <laughs> that bothers me. But anyway, that's what they say. Uh, and and uh, to that I say, good. I say that puts us in really good company. And people mean, what do you mean it puts us in good company? I love being called heretical because if we're heretics, it puts us in an incredible company. And in fact, it puts us in company in the company of many of the people in our scriptures, including someone I'm going to talk about today. Someone who is so influential in our scriptures that this person... I would argue, makes up more of the overall orthodoxy of Christianity than even Jesus Christ. I would say that. This person wrote a bunch of letters in the, in the New Testament, and I would say we hold on to the words of this person more than we hold on to the words of Jesus Christ. Does anybody have any idea who I'm talking about? Paul! Paul. You guys are on fire. It's Paul. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is like Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, and what do we all do? Jesus doesn't mean that. No, that's, right? That's what we all see. Jesus meant something else. But then Paul says, women shouldn't preach. And we all go, yep. Like, again, so see how we sort of create a right idea, an idea of rightness around. Uh, so I would say Paul uh, contributes more to the orthodox. And here's the beauty. Paul was a heretic. Paul was a huge heretic. You know how Paul was a heretic? Paul twisted and turned scriptures to make them more loving. Can you believe it? <laughs> We're going to talk about that today. Let's talk about Paul the heretic, and let's talk about how Paul being a heretic actually influences us and influences our church and influences the way we live our lives. So I want you to do a little, um, a little reading with me in the scriptures as we talk about Paul. Uh, I'm going to start in Philippians. It's going to be up on the screen. And this is what it says uh, in Philippians 3. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that the orthodoxy of his day, the thing that everybody said was right, the Torah, the law, uh, he, was, he followed it to a T. He was the one who was in the right. A lot of times we say there are no perfect people. Paul will say in this situation he was absolutely perfect, okay? If we were going to equate it to somebody talking today, this sounds about as braggadocious as somebody saying, I am the best Christian ever. I am a pastor, and for seven hours a day I read the Bible, and seven hours a day I pray, and seven hours a day I hold up a sign that says repent, and then for three hours I sleep. Like, that's what it would be the equivalent of, okay? It's somebody who's saying that, like that kind of potency, all right? So Paul followed the orthodoxy of the day. Now, what does zeal mean when Paul talks about zeal? In fact, he follows orthodoxy to a point where this word zeal comes up, and N.T. Wright says this about zeal. He says, for first century Judaism, zeal was something you did with a knife. Then he goes on. 
The followers of Judaism saw themselves as being zealous for God, zealous for the Torah, and as having the right and the duty to put that zeal into operation with the use of violence. So when Paul says he was zealous, Paul is saying, I followed the orthodoxy of my day to the point where I was willing to kill people for it. Now why? Why was he willing to kill people for it? Well, because if you're following your, your Old Testament heroes in the Bible, uh, they were pretty violent. In fact, let's pick one. Let's pick Elijah. And like, let's pick Elijah pretty much anywhere. So I'm going to pick, uh, what did I pick? I picked 1 Kings. And this is what it says in 1 Kings about Elijah. It says, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let, no, let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. The word of the Lord. No thanks be to God, we're not going to do that. Um, so yeah, so Paul's saying, in my orthodoxy, in my belief, you know, in our belief, what you can do is if somebody's not following it the right way, we can kill them. It says so in our scriptures. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, there's a deacon, his name is Stephen, one of the first deacons in Christianity, and he is killed by Paul, who is then called Saul. Okay, he was killed by him. So what do we have? We have Saul, Paul, who was knocked off of a horse, and God comes to him and says, hey, Saul, you got this orthodoxy thing wrong. You're excluding people to the point of killing them when they're not following this orthodoxy. I'm telling you that's not the way it is. I'm telling you it's actually time. Uh, it's actually time for you to include, to let people be loved, to let people flourish. And I'm going to blind you for a little while so that you get that idea. So what happens? Saul becomes Paul. Paul becomes one of the greatest evangelists for the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that we are all sitting here today. But it doesn't come without its pain. Because what does Paul do? Well, I'm going to read you a couple of passages uh, that show Paul's feeling or how Paul feels in this situation. He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And then he goes on in Corinthians, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. We hear a lot of pain there. We hear a lot of pain. I, do, I don't deserve to be called this. I, I am the worst in this. And this is going to be a quick sidebar. We're going to take a quick right here for a second, because I want to talk about this pain. I want to talk about the shame and the guilt that Paul feels. I love this church, and I love the fact that our church continues to be inclusive, progressive. We continue to call out love for people. I love that. But the truth of the matter is there is sin. Somebody once said to me, I love that you, this, in this church anything goes. And I was like, eh. anything doesn't go because the moment we start to hurt, the moment we start to hurt ourselves or we start to hurt one another or hurt others in the name of orthodoxy or in the name of, of this other thing, we're doing it wrong. We have it wrong. And there's great shame and guilt and real consequence around our sin. There's shame and there's guilt and there's great consequence around hurting other people, around hurting ourselves. And we see it here with Paul. It never leaves him. But it's a matter of what we do with that shame and that guilt. I think when we're following an orthodoxy, what we tend to do with shame and guilt is we tend to bring it the whole other way, the other direction completely. For instance, how many people have ever eaten a Domino's Supreme Pizza in one sitting? <laughs> Just me. Oh, thank you. Andy, I appreciate that. All right. So what happens when we feel the guilt and shame after eating Domino's pizza in one city is we tend to say, I'm never going to eat pizza again, right? We sort of go on ends. We're fundamentalists. 
We say, I'm never going to eat it again. I'm going to only eat cauliflower from here on out, right? That's, that's and that's one of the things we do. And what that does is it creates a burden. That is a burden. That is not what God intends, right? That becomes a burden. What Paul does, he says, yeah, I have shame and guilt. I have that pain. But I'm not going to, quote, unquote, give up pizza entirely, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to get myself to a place where my body can flourish. This means I'm going to eat pizza every now and again. I'm probably not going to sit down and eat whole Domino's pies every day. All right? What Paul is saying, he's saying, yeah, I did this. I messed up. I followed this orthodoxy. I'm not going to go the complete other way and become a fundamentalist in some other way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create flourishing for myself. I'm going to create flourishing for humanity. And I'm going to create flourishing for the people that I once excluded. So what does he do? Well, this is where we get to the good part. This is where we get to the part where Paul twists Scripture. Let's read about how Paul twists Scripture. We get to the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, uh, what Paul does is Paul says, um, he says, hey, there's these Gentiles. I used to kill them. Uh, but now I believe that, that Jesus Christ loves them as much as Jesus Christ loves me. And so I actually want to include them in the way that we follow Jesus. I want to include them in our worship. And the Romans are like, I don't know. This is scary. We've never had them before. Orthodoxy says that they shouldn't be a part of this. And Paul says, no, 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 no. They absolutely should. And here's why. And so then he starts to quote scripture. This is what he says. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Wow, Paul's going, look, I'm quoting scripture. In this scripture, I'm going to quote scripture where Gentiles are included. Now let's read the parts that Paul leaves out. Let's get to the part where Paul is a heretic. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, I've destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them to the Lord, but he did not answer. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the Gentiles under me. Therefore, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Again, thanks be to God. Am I right? <laughs> what is Paul doing? What Paul's doing is saying the orthodoxy that we had, the orthodoxy that excluded, that led me to kill, that led me to be zealous, that led me to say that people were out and others were in, I'm willing to turn the way we look at Scripture. I'm willing to turn that orthodoxy. I'm willing to become a heretic in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to do that so that others are included, so that others who are told that they're on the outside can now be told that they're on the inside, just like me, who held on to a orthodoxy to be right, am now included too. Paul is a heretic, twisting Scripture, Changing it so that we can understand that we are holy and fully loved. And this is what I want us to know today. And I'm going to quote this. And I'm going to quote this, and I'm using the word scripture, but we can also use the word orthodoxy here. And it says this. It says, The correct interpretation of scripture or orthodoxy will always and every single time come down to love. The scripture or our orthodoxy is not intended to be our master placing a burden on our back. The scripture or orthodoxy is our servant leading us to love God, others, and ourselves. And if our primary reading of scripture or orthodoxy makes love and inclusion take a back seat, then we might want to rethink our interpretation of scripture or orthodoxy. That is the bottom line. That is our calling as a church. That is our calling as a people. That is what justice and generosity in the name of Jesus Christ looks like. 
looks like that. So where do we go with that? What do we do with that? I have a friend who's starting a church, and he called me, and he said, Jonathan, um, he, said, he said, we haven't even had our first service, and already I have hundreds of people. And I'm like, that's amazing. And he's like, yeah, hundreds. Um, and I'm like, this is incredible. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And he goes, well, there's some issues around people. Uh, there are some people in our church who, who have different ideas about who's included and who's not. And I said, well, explain. And he lives in a place where immigration's a big issue. And so he said, you know, there are people who, who don't believe that others, uh, that they don't believe in including and loving those people. They want them gone. They want them arrested. They want them sent away. And whenever we talk about it, they point to Bible verses and say, look, it says it in the Bible, and this is what's right. And he goes, here's what I think, Jonathan. He goes, I think that I can, I think that I can take them along slowly. He said, I think that I can, I can tell them that it's okay to, to have this orthodoxy right now, and then later on, once we start our church and once we get going, I can explain to them that, that the gospel message is a little bit more inclusive. What do you think about that? And so I responded, and I said, hey, um, I'm a pastor, and there was a time a couple of years ago where our church was working to become more inclusive as well. And I said, here I was. I'm a white, straight, cis man. I have a lot of privilege, a lot of it. And as a white, straight, cis man, I, I prayed, God, you know, I think it's time for us to be more inclusive. It seems like you're leading me this way. Um, but, oh, man, what, people are going to call us heretics. i got to deal with that. Oh, we might lose people. People might leave. Our offering might not be the same. I'm just going to keep praying about this. And while I kept praying about it, there were people who didn't have my privilege, whose lives were literally being lost, and people who didn't have my privilege, who were literally being kicked out of churches and told that they were broken. And there were people who were literally being kicked out of families, and there were people who were literally being arrested. Well, I sat there and went, hmm, should we be more inclusive? And so I told my friend, I said, get rid of those people, and I said it nicely. I said, you can tell those people what you think right now. Tell them right now because lives are at stake. Lives are at stake here. This is the gospel message. The gospel message has it to where we include everyone. And, and for all the time that we entertain poor orthodoxy, there are people who are literally dying. Their lives are at stake. End this. And he goes, that's awful advice. <laughs> and I said, it is because it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to, to know that half your group's going to leave because you decide you're going to stand up and become a heretic for the sake of the gospel message. And yet that's exactly what we're called to do. That's what Paul was called to do. And it changes everything. So church, maybe you're one of the people who have been kicked out. Maybe you're one of the people whose lives were at stake. Maybe you're one of the people who were told that you are broken. And I'm here to tell you at this place, you are told that you are loved. You are told that you are cared for more than you could even imagine. You are told that, that nothing can separate you from God. Nothing. The only thing that you can separate from you from God is not believing it. That is it. And there's some of us here today who are, we feel that guilt and shame, the same guilt and shame that Paul felt, right? The guilt and shame that goes, oh, man, uh, you know, my orthodoxy has hurt me, it's hurt other people. Or my actions have hurt me, or hurt other people. And yeah, we want to hold you accountable to that. We want to hold one another accountable to that. That's a good thing. But you are loved. And you are not defined by that sin. You are defined by the possibilities that come next. And there are those of us here like me, and this is me, who love orthodoxy. I love the idea of being right. I love the idea about being right with the group. And so this goes beyond church for me. This goes into my family. Like, how many people have family? Does everybody here have family? Um, or friends or people we call family? 
right? I want to be right, and I keep thinking, you know what, if I just gave up the orthodoxy within my family, with, with my loved one, with my spouse, with my friend, with my kids, whatever it might be, and I led with grace, or I led with including, or I led with flourishing, or I led in that way, how would it improve my family structure? How would it improve my friend structure if I led that way instead of, well, this is what it says, you've got to be right, this, I'm right, in my work relationship. And unfortunately, I work with all of you. And in my work relationship, I can't tell you, when someone wrongs me, I want the whole world to know. I want to be right. Oh, this person was way off, and I wasn't. I was on point. And I think, and you guys know I'm not on point. <laughs> but I think we'd have a much healthier community. I think I'd do a better job if it wasn't about being right. It wasn't about being completely understood. It was about leading with that grace, the same grace Paul leads with. About leading with inclusion, the same inclusion that Paul leads with. About leading with the same love Paul leads with. And you have to know that Paul was sitting there and, all, and he's saying these things. And, and in fact, this is what it says. It's so important that we read this. It's from a, a guy named Kenneth, uh, Richard Hayes. Richard Hayes is a theologian. He says, Paul would have surely flunked seminary class. Paul was intimately familiar with the original context of these passages, as were his readers. And Paul deliberately reverses the meaning, turning the tables in order to provoke his audience. And you got to know people are fleeing from him. And he's like, I'm changing the orthodoxy. I'm a heretic, and I'm doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Church, this is what we are called to do in our lives, in our families, in this community. So as we leave here this week, here's what I want. I want you all to make a promise that you are going to walk out of here completely and utterly heretical. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who shows us what inclusion and love looks like. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ that gives us the courage to go against the grain for the sake of humanity, for the sake of flourishing, for the sake of others. Lord, help us to practice this in our personal lives and our communal lives. Help us to practice this as a church community. And Lord, thank you for the grace that comes when we do not. We pray this in your name. Amen.